The uh, theme for the evening talk is uh, uh, self-deception. So uh, my subtitle could be uh, Bill and Monica. <laughs> and uh, yesterday uh, evening, around the time of the hot drink, one of the managers, one of the staff, here suggested to Ashada, Rodney and I, that we might like to go down to the uh, TV room, which is in the, the bowels of this place, and uh, watch a national uh, broadcast on uh, uh, television. And so we did. It, it, uh, it lasted for uh, uh, six minutes, and then, of course, uh, six years of commentary to be followed. <laughs> and one of the staff then this morning, at about 7.30, went hurriedly into Barry to try to buy a copy of the New York Times, but they were uh, already gone, <laughs> but did pick up the uh, Boston Globe and I know how keen you are to be in touch <laughs> with the, dare I say, affairs of your president. <laughs> so, you may not recognize him, but this is him. <laughs> and the Boston Globe says, Clinton admits relationship. Raps, I don't understand this word, but raps probe of his private life. And then, so there was a six-minute statement uh, about um, he and Monica. And beneath the photograph, I'll uh, read to you, it, it says, January the 26th, 1998. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. August the 17th, 1998, which is yesterday. I did have a relationship with Miss Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. At no time did I ask anyone to lie, to hide or destroy evidence or to take any other unlawful uh, action. So, uh, while we're here busy contemplating our breath, There are rather a large number of people um, having some uh, uh, commentary today uh, on, on this uh, rather uh, painful and presumably for rather a number of people that all too distressing uh, uh, situation. And perhaps uh, there are two features which uh, one might refer to, and my mind goes back a little bit to the inquiry uh, this afternoon, when uh, a question was raised about uh, ethics and uh, precepts and uh, guidelines. And in this uh, uh, kind of a situation, which is uh, all too common and presses uh, in various ways um, people's uh, uh, buttons in all sorts of uh, manners, that uh, one is 
from uh, observation, despite all the, the difficulty and the un- lack of wisdom and unskillfulness of it, somewhere in it, it's two uh, adults in- engaging in some kind of uh, uh, activity, sexual activity, and uh, and all the power determinants that that go along with it. People may have their views and opinions uh, about that. But the second, which often, and some of you will know this also very well from your own uh, life experience, is the events that take place after something that has happened, which one is um, uh, regretful about, feeling guilty about, uh, ashamed of, sorry of, or in some way or other wishes to hide or cover up or obscure. And therefore the mind in its movement, in its uh, inner life, identifies itself and clings strongly, which it would need to, to various uh, views, opinions and positions. And in that enters into a form of communication in which the outcome and outcome of it is what we call uh, the lie. And of course uh, the media here have been very quick, lightning quick, to demonstrate the black and white contrast between statements which were made in January and statements which were made on national television uh, uh, last, last night. And it would be very easy for us, as with other situations which are parallel and similar, where there is deception taking place, to jump in with all the uh, judgments of mind that can take place and not perhaps look a little bit behind and the other factors which give support to all of this. And we forget that in the lie it also has a, a, a corresponding or a co-dependent factor Meaning, in other words, there's the liar, there's the ones who are lied to. And how easily we conspire, we support, we enter into an agreement with the lie. And when the mind is in fear, when the mind feels threatened, when the mind is contracted, when the mind can't acknowledge something of itself, of course one of its uh, uh, difficulties if it can't do it to itself, in some way or other, how on earth can it do it outwardly? How on earth can it enter into a clear and honest and truthful uh, communication when one is, uh, has contracted around something which one feels specifically uncomfortable about? But un- and unfortunately, in these circumstances, and not unusual ones, that the pain of something which can far outweigh the event in terms of time and strength of reaction also begins to fade as well. And when something isn't acknowledged and we are not clear about it, the very event has to recycle itself. And so one has had, of course, a a string of various names, in this case women's names, arising, and all the pain of all of that, but more importantly, or as importantly, uh, rather, is something seems to be clearly unresolved. 
And the lie cannot give resolution. It can't resolve a problem. Because the mind is living in something which is false and is putting it, putting it out in a way which is not congruent with the reality. One way in all of this, there should be some lessons uh, for all of us about what the lie does. Is it any wonder that it's so strongly emphasized of right speech and clear communication, honesty, staying in touch with oneself, knowing one, oneself, and the importance of learning to be with the truth and live with the truth, and therefore communicate it as well. And sometimes, for all of us, obviously, at times when it's extremely difficult, and the lie has not proved an answer. And all the impact and all the terrible diversion over relatively what's going on in this world, an incredibly minor event, compared with the suffering that's going on, this is small, yet it's been amplified because there's something that goes on in the psyche which says we hate being lied to. We hate those deceptions. They're horrible things to be told something and signals inside one says, I don't believe it. And so the immense pressure, all the egos that are involved in that pressure from Star and all these other people that are involved, huge egos are at stake here, all wanting a li their little niche in history. I can well imagine all of that's going, going on. But in all of that, somehow, in some situation like that, Something comes out. I did have a relationship with Miss Livingston. And if we lived with a little bit more awareness in our society, and a bit more kindness, and a little bit more clarity, that the person, that this, uh, young woman, could have been able to have gone, whoever it is, to the chief of staff or to, to an advisor since she was a, a, an aide in, in the White House and said, look, this has happened, there is a problem here, this is a married man with a child, with power, with response, responsibility, and, and uh, Clinton could, would have, should and could have gone straight into psychotherapy. And there are plenty of good psychotherapists in this hall, and, uh, and we would gladly have recommended two or three for him to visit. <laughs> but rather than a simple acknowledgement of a difficulty, of a, of a problem, of a betrayal, of family, is a, a daughter, or, or of trust, and all, all, all of that that goes on in these uh, uh, situations, through the role, of course, it's been amplified to the nth degree at the expense of huge other areas of suffering and difficulty and problems in life, both uh, within the, uh, the nation itself and, uh, and foreign policy, etc. And finally, it's been forced out. There's something about deception, as I say, and sometimes there's almost you know, the wish within us in uh, these uh, in difficult uh, uh, circumstances 
that the vested interest and all that goes with it can be so blind to the impact, to the consequence, the deception that one thinks that in some way or other that the lie, but one can get away with it. For a whole nation. To one's family, to, to, to his wife. And, equally Im important too, on the impact of one young person, 21 years of age. Probably this morning, probably, she woke up this morning and felt vindicated for all that she's gone through. He has at least admitted we had a relationship. No further details, but at least there's that admission. And it would be very, very easy for any of us in, in uh, uh, such uh, circumstances is to focus so much on that situation there as the media will do in its puerile and, and obsessive way that it does with these things, rather than taking the opportunity to step back and say, what are the deceptions that are going on in my life? What sort of kind of situations do I feel a, a restriction, a contraction, a pulling back, a holding back from, or, or whatever it might uh, be, and then distorting everything for what? For my own ends. And it's never an easy task for any, anybody with, with power without, or without it to be a, able to stay firmly in touch with oneself and honest enough with ourselves to be free from living or the wish to live in any kind of deception. What one hears is, is hearing in the staff room what, what happens in these situations uh, there, of course, the poor man in, in every, every comedian around the country is going to have, will be spending day after day thinking of jokes. <laughs> and it will be, end up as a legacy, the humour around one particular action. Before leaving here, I'm not supposed to mention these jokes, I suppose. People think it's not PC, politically correct. <laughs> There's a magazine in Britain, front page of the magazine, called Private Eye. I don't know if it's a satirical magazine which weekly takes hold of people in power and points fun. Sometimes humour is the kind of uh, uh, outlet as a, a voice of protest. So Mr. Starr says, front cover, the whole picture, says to Mr. Clinton, did you ask Miss Lewinsky to lie? And Clinton says, no, I asked her to kneel. Dreadful. Oh. <laughs> And it, and, it, and it will do the rounds. And people laugh or not laugh or think it's horrendous, but it will do the rounds and it, will, and it was on the, 
in every shop window in England because it's a magazine which goes into every news agent in the country. And people don't open it up, they just look at that as I did and just looked and, 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 and laughed. It may be a dreadful state of male humour, but nevertheless. <laughs> so, maybe from the tragedy of the outer situation, maybe it possibly can give us a, a chance, an opportunity to step back from that and say, well, what forms of deception take place in one's own life? What would be examples of, or uh, demonstrations of, uh, of it? And sometimes we, we don't realize the grossness or the subtlety of it. And in the Buddha's uh, teachings, he refers to three poisons of the mind, stronger language here, three poisons of the mind. And the first is, uh, the word is lopa, it's kind of greed, selfishness. And it's that movement of the mind in which you and I want something, we are propelled, compelled towards, and there is a dependency upon getting what we want for our peace of mind. Well, sometimes there's things that we would like and we want and we uh, 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 appreciate. It doesn't, and there's a movement towards. It, in itself, that doesn't carry greed with it. It doesn't carry egotism, selfishness, uh, that, that unsatisfactory face of desire. But when it does, it means that the well-being of the inner life is dependent on getting what I want is called greed. And we know there's an incredible amount of greed in this, in this uh, world and in the tragedy of things. Sometimes we're envious of people who uh, live this way. The other, which is, uh, as it were, opposite to it, and that is, rather than the movement towards with I want, I want, I want fixed in it, the other poison is the reaction anger, the aversion, the rejection of the same kind of force, but instead of wanting to have, it's wanting to get rid of, wanting to put down, wanting to blame, wanting to hurt. So one is the force of attraction and wanting to have, and the other is a force of destruction or harming against. Another poison of the mind. Think our human life as well as other life forms uh, under incredible amount of pressure inwardly and outwardly with these two forces that go on in life. And the third, he speaks, the word is uh, moha, M-O-H-A. And it's usually translated as uh, uh, delusion. But it's forms of deception in life and in the deceptions which take Place, the outcome of it, as with the other two, is that it generates suffering. And therefore, a, a conscious human being, an aware human being, is a human being who is genuinely attentive in day-to-day -day life of the movement I want, I want. Sometimes it's addictive, sometimes it's habitual, sometimes it's born out of fantasy or whatever. 
movement of going against the reaction and all that can take place, and this other one which I want to speak about, this deception. Sometimes is inwardly and sometimes the, the desire to generate it outwardly as well as uh, the story in the Boston Globe uh, illustrates uh, today. What are the ways that some of these deceptions um, take place? And the self, the I, the me, the my, is in a way right in the thick of it. And the deception in some uh, forms or other can be a kind of um, notion, and it's a strong one in the culture, I can be anything I want to be. And this message gets passed along to us. It's a, one which is constantly uh, uh, put out. It's one which uh, in the United States as well as elsewhere is, 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 is made into some hallowed truth. And I remember just recently speaking with a friend who had, uh, uh, during the time of the uh, last Russian Revolution, 1989-90, had got out of uh, uh, Russia with all its uh, oppressive statism that went with it, found herself uh, here, came to the United States, and felt incredibly free. At last I can do what I want to do. Don't have this statism and all that goes along with it, controlling and directing my life. Now I'm in the land of the free, she uh, uh, told herself. And for the first few months, it felt like that. I can go here, I can live there, I don't need a pass to live in this place, I can buy what I like, things are available, etc., etc. And there was a kind of honeymoon period of this. And then after a year, she realized that things hadn't changed because she still had the same old state of mind. And she was back to living with the same old feelings, the same old worries, the same old anxieties, the same old fears, the same old hates, the same old rejections, etc. So there's inner life going along, some deception can be uh, taking place, and that dis deception enters into our thinking, into our feeling, into our views. Same question, what comes back to oneself? My, my uh, daughter, my teenage daughter, she's uh, 17, and like most teenagers, thinks she's invincible. So we have at home a, a small, I uh, know one shouldn't have these things, but one has a small microwave at home. <laughs> so she puts in some spaghetti or rice or whatever it was to reheat it up. So I said, no, I sure not. Um, fine, but don't stand too near these things. And she took one look at me and then stood a step closer. <laughs> this is called self-deception. 
that sometimes we have this kind of view that we can, as I say, be what we want, do what we want. And that can carry itself, and for a period or periods in one's life, it appears like one can get away with it. One is doing what one wants. One is securing what one wants, getting what one wants, and that might be quite worthwhile and noble uh, endeavours. But one may be deceiving oneself by getting out of touch with the very bare process of life. And Shadra and I were uh, talking about this, and one of the things that we are um, observing and, and noticing, uh, and more frequently, and some of you will know far better uh, than us, is that the movement of life can be going on and in a particular area one might be, by any general measurement, reasonably successful in what one does. This is nourishing and encouraging for oneself, but also and equally can be um, uh, inspiring for others. And therefore, that then therefore attracts more contact or more attention, and therefore what? More work. One may then feel in the process of all of that, well, I need to learn more, uh, study more, and there's nobody on earth as, such as, as in this country where people like to keep going back to school. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, alarming, but it's uh, another subject. <laughs> So then a person begins to take upon herself or himself more, more. And so the workload is increasing, the study load is increasing. In, in between time, one has got um, um, married, has got two children, two dogs, one cat, and a big mortgage. And all seems to be moving along reasonably, reasonably well. But there's a deception taking place. And one may be ignoring the deception. The deception can be, I can continue this. I can sustain it at this rate. I can go on being like I was in the 20s and in the 30s. And that measurement of success, which is coming through affirmation, or through income, or through name and fame, or through feeling one is doing things well and worthwhile and one is uh, happy to have the opportunity, the privilege for it. Well, all the resources that may come uh, in that way, but there's a deception. The deception may be that one's actually out of touch with the body. One is actually out of touch with aging process. One is out of touch that the energy level is gradually lowering itself and one's not noticing it, one's not seeing it, and one, what one is doing to compensate uh, for that, Rodney was speaking about this last night, is that one starts to bring in more effort, a bit more willpower, a bit more striving, a bit more trying to keep up all the requests, the letters, the demands, the work, the, the responsibilities, the roles, and one is not noticing that the energy level is getting less and the compensation for it is willpower. And then there only has to be one or two small shifts in one's life, relationship begins to change, 
And then the emotional life is shaken up. And then a lot of energy starts to go out of oneself because the emotions are not as steady as they were when one had the security of the relationship or whatever else it might be. Or a loved one dies, a parent or a, or a friend or whatever. And so it's not at all unusual, and this is what Shadra and I were uh, commenting on, and, and Rodney has also experienced in his teachings in various places as well, that sometimes a person comes on a retreat and the intention is wholesome and healthy of wishing to be in a retreat fully, on the fullness of the timetable, uh, etc. And then one stops and within a day or a couple of days one realises one is far more exhausted than what one realised, far more tired in the cells than what one knew. And so as all the busyness begins to stop, and as all the roles and the doings and all the activity begin to drop away, one starts saying, well, how am I really? And so what we're experiencing increasingly, I might add, over the last 10, 20 years, is more and more people with various forms of chronic tiredness, various forms of low energy, various forms of um, exhaustion. Not through deliberate deception, as, the, as we had with this, uh, the president, not, not through anything which is uh, intentional uh, in that way, but a deception about time, energy, aging, the process of things. And we're living in a fool's paradise if we think we're invincible. We're living in a fool's paradise if the outflow of what we do and what we got away with in the teens and the twenties can be sustained when we get into the thirties and then into the forties and into the fifties. But the world doesn't know that. Other people don't know that. And they look at us and say, oh, we're going along well, we're going along well. Would you, could you do this for me? Why won't you? Could you come here? Could that, 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 that. And we say, yes, 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 death. <laughs> and we say, oh, God, I had a heart attack. <laughs> so the movement and keeping in touch with ourselves and knowing ourselves well is that stopping and being still and looking as some of you are doing and need to do and it's very, very important that you, that you do looking. How is in a couple of days, two or three days of retreat, how are the cells? How's the feeling of energy during the day? How present do I feel? Am I going through exhaustion? Do I need to really look at what I am doing? And one mustn't underestimate the formidable potency of patterns. Such a potency of, of patterns that sometimes, for all, as I spoke the other evening, the language of choice which we th throw out with, with, with a degree of naivety, which is appalling, how difficult it is that once in a pattern of which one has said, I have decided to do this for the next one, two, three, four or five years, to actually, actually say no. It's not in my deepest interest. It's not in, 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 in uh, 
coming from um, an awareness. Because if I'm, being, if I'm tired and exhausted, my cellular life is, has that feeling of deep tiredness uh, in it, and the recovery from it seems slow, then it's not, it's, it's not only irresponsible, it's a form of human madness to pursue something running on willpower, running on I have to. And unfortunately, there are a growing number of people who are uh, going through this and, have, and experience the consequences of it. When one puts that alongside with chemical factors, environmental factors, dietary factors, factors, lifestyle factors, etc. How can a sensitive instrument like organic life live at such a rate, live at such a pace? All this is implied in this moha. It's a delusion of the human being. And the difficulty is, not only the, the, the financial and all of that, which is difficult enough, but the difficulty of all of this is that when we begin to say no, when we begin to cut back, let go of, do less of, and really live wisely, the outcome of this in the initial period is often going through a difficult period of a lack of self-worth. I'm not good enough. I can't hack it. I couldn't make it. I didn't have enough energy. I'm not like other people. And the comparing and the judging starts to come in. Why? Because one's got a history of measuring one's worth as a human being by what, by what one achieves rather than by who one is, who one really is. So if one does let go of that, then of course one has to face, not for everybody, sometimes one sees the wisdom of it and one trusts in the wisdom. Sometimes one has to face the going through the self-doubt and the lack of self-worth because it's been done exclusively and narrowly on the principle of what I'm doing and what I've achieved. And it's an awful way to measure oneself with life. So when we speak in our meditations and refer to in our practices here about Mindfulness of breathing, awareness of, of body, attending to sensations and immediacy of, of, of experiences. All of that is not just some kind of uh, uh, simplified technique. It's much more in, in, in its purpose and in its intention is to say, if we do it and we, and we do it well, we'll know who we are well, we'll know the condition of organic life uh, well enough, and we'll be respectful to it. And we won't find ourselves, therefore, digging a, a hole of our own making because we kept ignoring the signals and the casualties. More and more and more. All the, at the retreat centers, we hear more, more and more tiredness, exhaustion, emotional, physical, etc. And much of it, not always, not always. Strong feature for a number of people is a consequence 
simply of too much doing and trying to get too much done. And it's neurotic. Of course, coming on a retreat, couldn't get much more of a, of a stark contrast to it. Sitting cross-legged or sitting in the chair or kneeling on the, uh, using the wooden stool for uh, kneeling uh, posture. Sometimes it's we uh, in the sitting posture and we just, whatever, move our hand to scratch our knee. It feels like we've done too much. <laughs> it's true. And Sometimes when we're sitting, and we just go through a, a period in the sitting of, of uh, stillness and not doing anything, not doing anything at all, but not the sing, single little movement, that out of the not doing, just for minutes, sometimes half hour, 45 minutes or whatever, at the end of the sitting, from the experience of not doing comes an appreciation. Something inside of one responds deeply to not doing, to being still, to being nobody, to having, being without a role, not having any career, not having any position, not being a mother, a father, or, or whatever. We're just sitting on this earth and we're sitting and we're demonstrating in the sitting, in the walking, since the walking is only walking up and down, so definitely not going anywhere, that in either, either posture or the standing posture, we're not doing anything. This is sometimes hard to stomach, so we use a fancy word and we call it meditation. <laughs> but basically, meditation is, is, what is it? It's not doing anything. Not being anybody. And therefore the personal history of ourselves, it's, it doesn't matter too much. Why is it that when we are still, and we're not anybody, and we're not doing anything, and, and perhaps we have an exceptional period of being very, very still, and not doing anything at, a, at all, and nothing going on whatsoever, it brings some very deep appreciation which we can feel, where? Through the whole body. We can feel in our feelings and our thoughts also demonstrates the appreciation of acknowledgement. Oh, it's a wonderful sitting, oh, such a meditative uh, walking up and down. Oh, that, that standing period of just standing on the earth, nowhere to go, nobody to be, just standing there and something responds deep, deep. So it's not as though in doing, doing, doing that we stop the doing therefore our worth will just has to collapse. Deep sense of worth, very deep, deepest sense of worth c comes out of silence. It comes out of the stillness. And the stability and the trust and the confidence comes out of that. And if we know that and experience that and sense that, it will have a, an extraordinary significant influence on 
what we do. Won't, won't feel like doing this to get uh, approval from other people, which is often a very strong motivating factor. And does and does and does because one wants the attention from others or the support from others or the recognition of others. Why one wants to feel to be somebody. An incredibly risky existence to actually live one's life doing, doing, doing to try to get approval for oneself for doing it or to get approval from others now surely in two days we've looked at our state of mind enough to know how utterly unreliable it is surely we've known other people long enough to know that their mind is just as unreliable as ours. Why on earth would we want to invest in minds which are for us one day and against us the next? Which slap us on the back one day and kick us up the backside the following? Which tell us lies one day and come out with the truth the next? Why would we want to depend on that and in order to get affirmed. And we say, oh, well, of course I know this already. You shouldn't rely on other people for, for these things or whatever. I shouldn't keep doing, 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 doing to try to make myself feel good. But why is it that it's not deeply clear What stops us from making it deeply, deeply clear? Maybe it's because we're not really still enough. Maybe the not doing is the key to making things steady and obvious. And then the actions, rather than come from a kind of compelling history of trying to prove something to ourselves and to the rest of uh, the world. You see, the action actually comes out of the non-doing. And one trusts in the intention that goes with it. And one keeps in touch with oneself from the non-doing so that areas like energy, which are obviously important, we listen. We know it's ebb and flow. Because when the mind, as some of you have reported, is having difficulty with the energy, with the flow of it, the mind does keep coming in. And so when there's low energy, the mind comes in and says, oh my God, it's a symptom. Oh my God, it's just to prove that I'm falling apart, I've got a me, I've got chronic tiredness, I've got this, I've got that. And it's then very, very hard to know clearly and well what is just natural energy cycle in which it is low at times for us during the day and stronger at others. And what is a statement of something in the kind of long-term view? And the only way we're going to be clear about that is clear about 
what our way of living in this world is. And for some people and for some of you, it, it therefore means what has to stop. One wishes to live a life which feels full and connected and allowing and acknowledging of aging and energy often going together, mostly going together. All of that is a demonstration of awareness and respect for the process of living. Not being a slave to personal desire and willpower. Then one might begin to understand more clearly the Buddha's wonderful teachings on renunciation, wonderful teachings on letting go, wonderful teachings on, on giving up, on doing without. And when someone came to him and said, why do you follow the Dharma? And said to the monks, why do you practice the Dharma? Why do you explore the Dharma, the teachings and the practices? And the Buddha's uh, reply, and it brought uh, immediate agreement from the men and women in practice, because this way of life, of living with the Dharma of life, is the way of life which brings the greatest happiness. It brings the greatest happiness. And that potential for the welfare of ourselves and the welfare of others is our birthright. And therefore, in the retreat together, at times, there are areas that we really do need to look at carefully. So we can release the happiness within the being. We can be true to ourselves without uh, deception. And therefore, we not only do a service to ourselves, we do a service for others, and one does a service for the President as well. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings be free from deceptions. May all beings live a wise and liberated life.